Welcome to the Business as Mission podcast, dedicated to those who long to see God glorified in business and the nations reached for Christ. Your host is Mike Bayer, longtime BAM leader and founder of Third Path Initiative, an online education resource for starting and growing BAM businesses around the world. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Business's Mission podcast. And I have been trying to get this fellow on the podcast for as long as it has existed. He's always wanted to do it. And for whatever reason, it just hasn't worked out till today. So I'm looking at my good friend, uh, Jao Mordomo, on the screen. And uh, so, Jao, thank you. Man, thanks for being on. And it's just good to see you. It's been a while. Man, Mike, I, I can't believe you. you have the... Uh, courage to invite me to be on your podcast. You know, this I could doom your future as a result of this, but hopefully that's not going to happen. I'm honored to be with you. S- seriously, I'm, I'm genuinely honored. You're uh, an inspiration to me uh, in the recent years, decades, honestly, of being a pioneer in BAM. So it's great to be back uh, together virtually. Absolutely. I always love being with you. For those who don't know, um, so Jal is with his family in South America, and we met not by accident, but, but obviously by providence, but we met when I was down there my first trip to that country and I don't know, 12 years ago, maybe 11, 12 years ago. And we got connected. Yep. It was just one of those moments where like, okay, this is, we may not see each other a lot, but this is a good guy. And when, when Joe and I pick up conversation, we don't have to go back and do the catch up on everything. We don't have to, yep. you know, get up to speed. It's like, we just pick up where we left off that always to me says a lot about something that they're if they're walking with God and I'm walking with God and we're all on the same pace and so you're one of those guys so again thanks yep. thanks a bunch and, and uh, we just crossed our ten thousand listen about two weeks ago and but, so hopefully hopefully you can't do too much damage to the podcast but, but we'll see no that's great congratulations yeah well we're excited we're excited so tell us a little bit about you as, as everyone knows that listens we call those call this fan stories and it's just that it's just People's stories of, of, you know, how God introduced them to BAM and how he's walked them through it and grown them in it and used them. And, and you are all those things. So, so Jal, take us back sort of pre-BAM and it just into oh, your yeah. early days with the Lord and, and how this progressed. And, and, and you know why I'm asking this, because we've talked before, but I always believe that when our listeners can hear a story, one of the messages that comes through is, wow, you know, if that guy could do it, I could do it. Maybe. And so it's a, it's, that's the beauty of stories. Uh, it's not yeah. a shot at you. I mean, right. That, that's just stories say people, you know, people can do this. And so that, that's the fun stuff. So take, take us, take us back in time. Uh, you don't have to go all the way back to the very beginning of where you were born and all that, but how, how did this journey begin? And let's, let's kind of talk through it. Yeah. So I didn't take it as a shot, but it, but it was true. <laughs> it's like, I think people should look at me and go, Oh my, if that guy can do it, I could definitely do it. It's like, yeah, it's, it's a low bar that he set. So I'm pretty sure I can do it better. Um, and I hope people do. I, th- I think maybe what's interesting about my story that some people are going to resonate with is, as you know, this people come into BAM from different directions. I mean, the two obvious things are you, you come from a business side or you come from a missions or ministry side. And then there's all these beautiful kind of blends uh, that are we're increasingly seeing and my journey was coming at it from a ministry side. So I was, I was the, it was very unintentional on my part. So, uh, you know, I will back up, not quite to birth, but to, to new birth. How about that? I met the Lord when I was 16 years old. Um, I, I assumed I was going to probably join the Marine Corps. I, I was born and reared for 22 years in the United States. And my father was a, 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 a distinguished Marine Corps colonel. And so I kind of grew up in that environment. And before I met the Lord, that just looked like a, a done deal for me. I wanted to do that. I admired and respected him. But after I met the Lord, I, I went on a very typical kind of conventional journey, which was uh, met the Lord. And it, and it was a pretty radical meeting. I was I was definitely lost and everybody knew it. And I was living uh, that very egocentric life of a teenager and it was all about me and it had to do with um getting drunk a lot and doing the, the only the things that I wanted to do which in eastern north carolina so it was surfing and playing tennis and playing soccer those were my my big things we got transferred and i won't say the name of the place but there's no beach anywhere nearby some people call it the armpit of the south and and i was just mad at the world wasn't mad at god cuz i didn't 
care if God existed or not, honestly. But in the process, I went to a retreat because somebody told me there were going to be girls there. I didn't know what a retreat was. I just knew there were going to be girls. And I went to meet a girl, but I, I actually met the Lord in the process and it was pretty radical. And a, and a few months later, I felt like God was calling me into full-time ministry. And and I it was that very conventional understanding. I didn't know anything. So because of a good youth pastor and a good youth ministry, I met the Lord. So as I felt called, I thought I was going to be a youth pastor in a local church in the United States, like literally for the rest of my life. That's all I could comprehend. And as as the journey unfolded and as the understanding of calling unfolded, I ended up co-founding a what now is a global church planting organization. In 1987, we didn't know it was going to necessarily become this, called Crossover Global. And we're, we're about... Um, 350 people in 35 countries, from 35 countries, about 3,700 churches planted among unreached peoples. Uh, we, we have hardly any Americans. It's genuinely a global and globally led organization. And it's been my my thrill and heart uh, and joy for all these years. But in the process, I ended up moving to Brazil in 1996 to set up what would have been our second base. I met and married an incredible Brazilian and as, so at this point, you know, I'm, at, she says I'm a, I'm a Brazilian who was falsificado no Paraguay. Like I'm a fake Brazilian made in Paraguay. I mean, it's, it's this whole thing. I'm more Brazilian than anything else, but I still have a little bit of the accent. So this- But at least she didn't call you an Argentinian, right? No, oh, I mean, that's it, right. That's right. We, <laughs> uh, we do have that rivalry going on between Brazil and Argentina. It, it never, no, never no. end. The only time Brazilians, the only time I ever saw Brazilians happy for Argentina was when they won the world, the last World Cup, because they like Messi, they respect Messi, and thought he deserved it. Otherwise, it would have been that intense rivalry. It just goes on and on and on. So, oh, and it's like jokes in the South between states, right? Yep. And, and university. It. So, quick question: So, you formed this organization, Crossover Global. Is the website crossoverglobal.org? Actually, crossover.global. It's even easier. It's just crossover.global. Fantastic. I'll put that in the show notes because somebody listening to this may want to learn more about what yeah. Crossover does. So, and you, yeah. so you were one of the co-founders of that. So, yeah. Okay, all right. So back, back to your story now. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I did. No, that, that's great. We're, we're here to chat. Um, and, and that factors in later into the story, the, the whole thing about Crossover Global or, or, or kind of starting and leading what to some people looks more like a conventional, we, we wouldn't say mission organization, we'd, we would say church planting organization very specifically. But uh, so we come to Brazil in 1996 because of some forward thinking Brazilian leaders who said, you know, wh why don't, why doesn't crossover actually come here and let's work together to train and send Brazilians to the nations, to these countries that don't want missionaries and don't like Americans. But, you know, Brazilians actually have a lot of cachet uh, it has to do with football and soccer to some, uh, among other things. And it has to do with a historically neutral, uh, kind of politically neutral uh, stance. And we're just jovial and vibrant. And so the Brazilians actually, because of the all, all of the um, the incredible kind of ethnic blending that has taken place over the last two centuries as well, Brazilians look like pretty much everybody everywhere. We've got the largest community of Japanese outside of Japan. We've got the largest community of Arabs outside of the Middle East. We have, you know, the historical communities, the indigenous that were present, and then African communities and um, Portuguese, obviously, Italian. So it, it looked like a really good idea. And we started to look at how to train and send Brazilians. And I, as the leader here of this base, kept butting heads against four specific things which was basically how do you get Brazilians out of Brazil in the first place? And these lessons are applicable to the church that is emerging anywhere in the world, anywhere in the developing world, especially, but honestly, it works everywhere. Our conclusion, what we're going to fall into, which is business as mission works everywhere. So the thing is we were having trouble getting Brazilians out of Brazil. That was often a vision issue and it was often a financial issue. And then how do you get them into countries that don't want missionaries? And then how can they stay in those countries that don't want missionaries? And then if they do manage to stay, how are they going to bring about any type of genuine gospel transformation? So 
here's my pithy way of putting it, getting out, getting in, staying in and sinking in. And it was just constant roadblocks for five years. We were a horrible sending organization for five years here because we didn't send anybody for five years because we're trying to figure out what does it look like here. And in 2001, at the um, Triennial Brazilian Missions Congress, a Swede named Mats Tunahag was one of the speakers. And this is this is really informative of that time over 20 years ago where this selection committee, the, the people who respond, the program committee to invite speakers, somebody proposed, invite this guy Mats to talk about business as mission. And without exception, everybody on the committee is like, it's a missions congress. Why would we invite somebody to talk about business? It doesn't make any sense. Sure. person was insistent, managed to invite Mats. He comes over from the other side of the world. He gets 15 minutes to talk about business as mission. And I was there. I was speaking about something else. I, and, and I heard him when it was his turn and he talks about this thing called BAM. And I just, you know, I, I might have run up to the front and given him a hug and maybe a kiss. I'm not sure. I was so. I know. No, no, he tweeted. He tweeted. You couldn't. You could not back then. You couldn't do it. You could probably get away with it now. You're, you're right. I actually, I do joke about that too. He wouldn't have liked that very much if I kissed him. But, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, we're Brazilians. We kiss people. So, so he presented this succinct. It's what he does. Oh. It's what he's been doing, and and that's why he's a pioneer. Uh, statesman and, and spokesperson for the vision of business's mission. Uh, and, and we like to say as a concept, as a practice, and now as a movement. And so because I, what I heard was God saying, here's your solution. Here's your solution. Here's your solution. Here's your solution. Those four roadblocks to sending Brazilians to the nations. And uh, from that point on, I immediately invited Mats to come back the next year. And we just started investing in this vision. It helped us and other organizations with sending um, and it helped with that long-term impact as well, because we were doing things that added value to to communities, to to uh, to the nations. So that's that's kind of I, I backed into business as mission. I was I majored in sociology at university, and remember I said I was called. I thought I was going to be a conventional type of pastor or missionary forever. I avoided classes that had to do with business and economics to to my regret. At this point, um, I had to go back and backfill a whole bunch of knowledge that I had missed along the way. You know, it's interesting, Gal, when you you share your story. I'm thinking about how many people I've known over the years in the in, within the movement, as you have, that their story is so similar that that they they started with a heart for ministry for whatever reason they they felt led in a different direction. People thought they were crazy. Uh, they it, thought they'd lost their faith, but then yeah. somewhere in there, there's this wonderful connection that that at least back around that same time period, God was was using people and saying to them, in essence, you know, if you want to get out of the salt shaker, if you want to get to other countries, if you want to get among the unreached in particular, business is the means. And so in the beginning, it was very much, it was a strategy more than a concept. And yet mm-hmm. over, it, it had life to it and God has taken it to a whole, a whole different level. So I love that you, that that same story I hear from so yeah. many different people is that yeah. look, I had a heart for reaching the unreached, heart for reaching you know, across the, the chasm and business was the bridge that God led me to. And now, now I love it because I see the, the whole, you know, holistic theology that goes with it. But if we start presenting it that's as a right. theology, we miss the passion. That's the right. Theology comes after, I think. Yeah. And, and it's great that you mentioned that too, because it actually, so, so I'm, I, I mean, academically, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a missiologist. I mean, ultimately, when you put all of my, whatever my degrees are together, it was for the sake of missions. And I like the academy, so I like to keep a foot in the academy. So so I'm a missiologist by training. And, and I there's so much stuff that you just still don't encounter in seminary. You still don't encounter in Christian universities. These things are changing. But my point is to say that it forced me to to fundamentally rethink so much of what I thought I had learned, and this is the truth when it comes to uh, certain components of ecclesiology, or this is the truth when it comes to missiology, or this is the truth when it comes to certain theologies of work, of vocation, of calling. It required a, this fundamental rethinking, and and it made me go deeper into Scripture and, and looking at, my goodness, this is rich. It's so much different than what we generally learn um, 
along the road, along the way, on the journey. And that thinking then it gets to, you've you've had people talk about this on, on other episodes where you get into the whole sacred secular divide thing. And it forces us to understand that if, I mean, in my case, what motivates me, and I'll, I'll put it very succinctly, I want to see Christ proclaim and exalted among all peoples. And to see that happen, for the church to pull that off, we will never pull it off if we're relying on the, the quote-unquote full-time religious professionals to get the job done. It's the old Lausanne statement, which still imbues the, the, the ethos, the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. And and we like the whole gospel. Some some don't, actually. Some are very much it, it's the proclamatory yeah. thing versus the holistic thing. And we got all these uh, kind of false paradigms where we should be looking at integration, not separation. Definitely the whole world. So we like the whole world. Sometimes we like the whole gospel, but we don't get the fact that it's the whole church that has to do it. And what BAM does is it it says the Great Commission can genuinely, truly be fulfilled because this is how you engage the whole church in fulfilling the Great Commission, whatever their profession or calling is. And in our case, in particular business, that's how you're going to fulfill the Great Commission. How many times over the years have, have we heard business people say, prior to their exposure to the business's mission concept and practice, how many times have we heard them say, up until now, I was a spectator, I was yep. a donor, you know, I pray a little bit, but fundamentally, I was kind of on the outside looking in, and now I'm beginning to feel like I'm in the game. I'm actually a part of what God is doing in the world, and not just, yep. as one friend of mine put it, a walking checkbook. And I love that yep. it is unleashing the church to say there is a spot yep. Every single believer, whether you, it has nothing to do with your geography, but it has everything to do with your your involvement. And and That's so right. I, I love that you said that because I've, I've watched business people, particularly in the early days when we used to go to Central Asia a lot and take over teams of business people. I've watched them come back transformed, not so much from their experience, well, from their experience, but not what they did in Central Asia, but coming back with the, for the first time ever feeling like they were in the mm-hmm. army, or in your case, the Marine Corps. Uh, they were they were not they were not on the sidelines watching the parade. So I, I love that. I think that's part of the magic here, if I can use that word. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's this. It, it sounds almost like we're making things up, but it it, it is stereotypical <laughs> because it has happened so many times. It has become the stereotype, which is a successful business person or, or other professional. But we're talking about Bam. So let's say business comes comes to their pastor and says, you know, I'm just longing for more. And I, I, what can I do? And, and the, the pastor's default mode is, well, are you tithing? It's like, make sure you're tithing. Really? Well, give more. Okay. Yeah, I'm doing that, pastor, but that's not what I mean. Well, are you teaching a Sunday school class? Mm, I don't know if I have any gifting at all. With well, we need somebody to teach the children. But but pastor, I'm scared of children. I don't think, no, you go teach the children. And <laughs> we don't have any more creativity than give your money and, and go teach a, somebody something. And Bam sets sets these people free. If the pastor can grasp that, because the other problem is, a pastor might say, "I do have pastoral experience in my background as well." So you know, I I pick on pastors, but yeah, I, I'm one of them too. They could come back and let's talk as pastors and and work yeah. this out together. The thing is, they're going to say, "Really? Yes." So maybe you are being called, and I affirm your calling. So what you need to do is quit your job. Go get a theological education, and then you can be a pastor, or you can be a pastor, and then go be a missionary. How? You're going to get a religious visa? No, you're not, because the countries that need the gospel don't going to give you a religious visa. So it's this, this has been a beautiful movement of breaking paradigms and integrating to the point where we, we can't call lay people lay people anymore. We can't say that they inhabit the secular world and the and the the laity inhabit the this the sacred world. It's all sacred for us. It's all ministry for us. And so so like I was saying earlier, when you go back and dig through even in even the early stages of the history of Israel, before there's such a thing as a Levitical priesthood, you can clearly see that God's intention for his people is that all of us are his representatives. All of us are, I'll use New Testament language but it's in the Old Testament too. Ministers, when you go back to Exodus 19, for example, and see that royal priesthood concept, it was there before the there were any full-time religious priests. God intended for his, all of his people to be ministers. And this is a vision that we're recovering like the Reformation tried to recover, and we didn't do a very good job in this respect. 
um, the priesthood of all believers. And now we're saying it's true. It's real. It's valid. God wouldn't call you to minister if he didn't give you a means by which to do it. So if he's called you to business, that's your means by which you serve as a full-time minister. You know, we got to put you on the road. That was good. <laughs> so here, this is even better. If you're a full-time Christian, you're a full-time minister. That, yeah. That's all we need to tell people. If they can grasp that, because there's no part-time Christian. So it, it, absolutely. Period. End of story. You were talking about bringing Mots over, and we both have been impacted by Mots in our lives. Is that he's been a, a, a man that God has used uh, in many ways, and not he's not the only one. There are others like him, but he's been phenomenally used. Yep. So he comes over, and I know he's had impact in Brazil. It's had impact in you. You guys really start teaming up together. Yep. Somewhere in this, there is the 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 germination of the the Global BAM Congress. Uh, the first yep. one in, in Thailand, the second one, obviously, we ended up doing uh, remotely, virtually because of the pandemic. But you you were there at the kind of the beginning of all that, you and Mats and Joe. Tell us a, a yep. little bit of that, how that worked out. And, and, and you know, I would think of you guys, I can't say the four horsemen because there's only three of you. So, I'll, I'll, and I don't want to say the three stooges, that, that, but the you, you guys have been an amazing team. And we had a group podcast a while back after the, the big virtual conference to hear your side right. of the story. But but go back to the beginning when you were just in the, just getting your feet into it. You knew God's calling you. You knew he's speaking to you. Mots is a part of that. Uh, Joe, is, Joe Plummer is a part of that. That that part of your history always uh, fascinates me. Right, yeah. Mots and I met in 2001. Mots and Joe met in 2002. So Mots was collaborating with both of us as of 2002 and quickly kind of got us got us all together. And th there were several others as we were moving towards something very specific. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to try not to be hyperbolic or to exaggerate or, or distort the truth, but I'm going to be succinct and represent it the way I understand it and try to be a little bit pithy about it. So basically Lausanne, the Lausanne movement now is moving into 2004, which would have been the 30th anniversary of the movement. And so they were going to do uh, the Lausanne forum in 2004 in Thailand, and they were going to have 30 different issue groups, basically kind of commemorating 30 years of Lausanne. And a, a couple of years prior, Mats comes knocking on the door and goes, bam, bam, it's, you know, bam, you got to have bam. And and they're like, yeah, but we already have 30 groups. And, you know, if we had bam, it's 31. That kind of, there's no, there's, you know, it kind of ruins the whole. Um, <laughs> the symmetry the, the is out, man. Come on, yeah. yeah. That's exactly the word, the symmetry. So, but, you know, he's a very convincing guy. So they, we actually get this BAM group on the on the slate. So there's going to be these 31 issue groups. And so we started working with Mats. So Mats convenes a team of about 70 people in 2002. Basically, we start working in 2003. And we're working for almost two years remotely. It's 70 people. And this, this is, this is like, just email. We we didn't have all of the means that we have today um, of instantaneous virtual communication. So we're working with emails all over the place. Seventy people from dozens of countries. I mean, it was the, it was an attempt to be globally representative. So people from the business world, people from the academic world, people from the ministry missions world, uh, different languages, countries, cultures, men and women, different ages. And we're we're trying to wrap our heads around what is this thing that now people are calling business's mission, and we're and we're working together until the end of September, early October, two thousand and four, at this Lausanne Forum, where then we get together for a week, and and almost everybody was able to come, and by then we actually had a, a small book. It was the Lausanne. It is now the Lausanne Occasional Paper. I don't remember the number, but it's on business's mission. It might be number fifty nine, um, where. We had things outlined and kind of what we did for a week was then flesh out and edit and come up with this globally. It's like it's the the churches or the global church's voice into this thing called business's mission with with multiple chapters. So, so you know, I took I oversaw one chapter. I won't say which one because if you don't like it, I don't want to get blamed for it. Um, and, and you know, and, and Mats and Joe and others are there. We're crafting this thing for seven days, like putting final touches on it. And so when I got back. Somebody said, how was Thailand? I said, I have no idea. I literally never left the building. It was like we worked the entire time to to finalize this 
list on occasional paper. So that's that really got us kicked off, and that got visibility for the global church because Lausanne has cachet. Lausanne is yeah. it's a it's a voice that people listen to. Um, it's it's a it's a group that both listens to the church and then tries to to project almost prophetically, you know, what is God doing? Where is God leading us? So what do we need to do to be prepared when we get there? And and that's how BAM kind of got an initial impetus. Well, at that point, Mutz and Joe and I, it, it was kind of hit and miss. There were some ad hoc things. We were, you know, I'm, I'm co-leading crossover. They're doing their things. But we didn't lose contact. The three of us in particular didn't lose contact. Others kind of came and went, but we we just liked each other. So we, we stayed in touch. And then about 2010, Mutz begins to understand that, you know, it's time to do something else. We need to get more global traction for this, for promoting the vision for business's mission. And, and so he starts to have this idea of let's pray and see if God wants us to do something more definitive. And the conclusion was yes. So some of those original 70 people uh, and other people, we get together and we're like, all right, it's time for, you You mentioned this, it's time for what became the first kind of standalone Global BAM Congress, which happened in 2013 in Thailand. And, and so we spent several years building up towards that Congress. And in that process, it, it's like, yep, it looks like God wants this to be a thing. So there was no legal entity, but there was this thing now called BAM Global with a brand and with activities that we were doing and kind of services that we were providing to the global church related to catalyzing this emerging movement. Uh, you know, identifying best practices, generating new resources. And that's a lot of that was based on research. So we've got 30, more than 30 white papers that have been produced related to BAM and just about anything. So BAM and church planting or BAM and human trafficking or uh, local churches and BAM. And then uh, later on, we ended up producing other things like um, we did a whole wealth creation uh, for holistic transformation consultation later in 2017. So it became a thing. BAM Global became a thing. It wasn't a legal entity, but it was a thing. We were together, and and this time it was it was like a permanent setup and a permanent structure where we began to work very uh, intentionally, not just kind of ad hoc, to get this vision out. And we've been together ever since. So, we, so Mats and Joe and I have been together for 21 years, the three of us. Um, the last 13 of which have been real tight. And then in the last year, BAM Global actually incorporated. We got to the point where people were saying that they would look at us. And I don't mean this, please don't misunderstand me. Uh, I say this in, in humility. God was doing things through this, this group of people who were working kind of voluntarily with no resources, basically. And people were saying, wow, look at this. Where did you get the resources to? And we just laughed. We're like, we don't have any resources. How did you produce this? How did you... Do that, and we started to think. You know, well, what could we do if we actually had resources? And that kind of led to the process of, yeah, it's time to incorporate. We we don't want to have a, we want we want to have a minimally sufficient structure to catalyze a movement. That that's basically so. BAM Global as an organization exists in the middle of the global BAM movement. I think Mott's probably said this recently on the podcast that you had with him. If not, maybe Joe said it. Maybe I'm repeating for the third time, but it's important to know that we BAM Global is an organization. It's not the movement, but it exists in the middle of the movement to catalyze the movement. And the best way we know how to describe it is, I think in the, in the North American context, this would make more sense, to be the honest broker. So, so we're not mm -hmm. competing with any but we're out there promoting everybody. And depending on what you need, we know where to point you. We know who to connect you with. And, and we are promoting everybody within the ecosystem to to uh, make sure that they are successful in doing whatever their slice of the pie is. And so as you look at the ecosystem, like what you guys have got going on with Third Path or with TriVenture, or if you look at people, you know, just think of the categories, incubating, accelerating, funding. Uh, there are mission organizations, there are churches, there are business groups. How can we make all of them you know, provide what means for them to be connected and collaborating and being successful in what they're adding to the global BAM movement. So that's kind of what the organization does. And, and now we're, I guess, the three of us have been together for 21 years doing this. Now, I, I've heard that before, and it's great to hear it again, because I think it it really speaks, that description speaks to, the, to kind of the essence of the BAM movement. As you say, you're not the movement. You're there to support right. and catalyze and, and encourage the movement. But that's that 
to me, the heart of BAM has always been about the selflessness of it. You know, it's, you, you don't do it for yourself. You, you, you do it. I mean, you're going from relative luxury to <laughs> relative poverty. You're going from easy places to really hard places. You're sending yeah. other people to do the same thing. But within the midst of it, it's like, this is not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. It, it really is about what God is doing. And, and we have that, you know, privilege or whatever. That's a, that's a worn out phrase, but we really do have the privilege of being invited it, by him to go along with him as he does these things. And, and yeah. where that spirit, and to me, that's the Philippians 2 spirit, right? Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And I think I see that as very much the, the core of the way that the, the BAM Global community, not the organization, but the community, yeah. tends yeah. to think about everybody in it. And we, we do seem to be very motivated by how can I help you achieve your objective, not how can I achieve mine. We'll be right back after a short break. The Business as Mission podcast is in partnership with TriVenture, the BAM Launchpad. TriVenture offers the three ingredients every entrepreneur needs to launch and scale a BAM business, courses, coaching, and capital. For more information, visit TriVenture.com. Let me give a plug. Uh, and so to the listeners, um, Mike didn't pay me anything. Not yet. Anyway, no, just kidding. He's not going to pay me anything. <laughs> this plug that I'm going to give, I'm going to give two plugs. Um, in that selfless uh, mindset, you've produced some tremendous resources, online um, teaching resources. There are classes that can be accessed at Third Path or or by way of TriVenture starting by getting to Third Path, seeing these courses. Uh, and they're worth way more than uh, any than, than I mean, some are free, some are paid. They're worth way more than what you're charging. And you now have empowered us in Brazil, for example. So we're working together, collaborating, and and you are selflessly allowing us to be able to utilize these resources for the BAM movement in Brazil to be strengthened. That's how good the resources are. But also, my point is, uh, you've had that that selfless mindset. And then the other plug is your book. You, you know, your book has been available in in Portuguese here in Brazil since, I'm going to say 2010. I, I, maybe I'm a little bit off on the timing. Actually, Pretty close, I uh, think. It might have been earlier. It might have been 2008, honestly. I, I'd have to go back and look. So the first resource in Portuguese was small and simple, and I wrote it, so it wasn't very good. And then they're like, okay, <laughs> we're off to a start, but let's bring in the heavyweights. So they said, uh, let's let's translate Mike's book into Portuguese. So now, you know, your book has been available for quite a while. And honestly, with it in Portuguese, it's still my go-to resource. Like I don't tell them about mine. I tell them about yours because you made that available and it's been having a tremendous impact um, for well over 10 years for sure. So that's part of that kind of selfless mindset, I would say. You, you, you definitely weren't in it for the money. You're serving a movement. You were serving the emerging movement here in Brazil. Yeah, I, and I think that that permeates the movement. I, I think that you know that that part of what God is inviting all of us to is not just to make money, not just to achieve things, but all of it has to be there. But something much bigger, something much, much more. It's going to sound corny, but I'll say it: much more wonderful to behold than just yeah. a successful organization. And when you yeah. see people who are by their by by human nature competitive living and striving to achieve a level of collaboration that's really a yeah. that's a beautiful thing and i think it's a taste of what what the kingdom and the church really looks like when when we're walking with the lord so yeah. i appreciate the plug and the check is in the mail but um <laughs> you know we, we, we that's the thing we all have a part so over the years many people listen to this podcast have, have you know watched the movement grow from very globalized kind of a western driven thing in the early days to now a truly global movement, the 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 I guess the first virtual com big conference uh, that we did during the pandemic, it, that's when I really saw it. Uh, you know, I, I knew it, but I really saw it. But I'm seeing all of these different people, different countries, different colors, different languages, uh, just this beautiful illustration of the body of Christ, all focused on what is God doing and what does He want to do. And so yep. you, you've watched that, you, particularly you and Joe and Mots have watched that develop over time. And, and so just recently, Jal was, was invited to be the very first executive director of BAM Global. Talk a little bit about that. I know you and I talked briefly a few 
few months back when he got ready for it to go public. Now it's it's public without no big fanfare. You you got haven't chosen right. to do that, and that's that. I wouldn't expect it, right? That's not really who, who you are. But to talk about that transition because that that marks something for Band Global, but I think it, it marks something for the for you obviously as well, but also something for the movement. It's just like a new. I don't want to say a new era. That sounds over dramatic, right? But you, you know what I'm saying. It, it it is a new chapter, I guess, in the unfolding story. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, thank you. I'd love to do. I love to tell the story. Um, a bit, not to be egocentric, but there, God in His just amazing uh, fatherly love has brought me through uh, a, a recent story that then kind of positioned me. And together with Mats and Joe, for us to be able to discern that it was time for a new thing. And so, as I mentioned, we've been together for all these years, and we've served as co-chairs. And and what for a, a lot of the time, what it meant is I'm co-leading another organization, Crossover Global, and I so I didn't have a lot of time to de- dedicate to BAM Global. Joe increasingly was dedicating time to the point at which it basically became a full-time thing for her, and then Mats also. It start, shifted more and more into like this is his big thing, and I was kind of the the lesser of three equals, and 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 that was fine. And for some reason, they still felt okay with the three of us making decisions together. That's that's that was the conclusion. We're in this together, and and it was a it's one of those aspirational things that sometimes organizations aspire to, but they can't pull it off. And be, and the bottom line is, especially from like a North American or or a corporate mindset, it's like, nope, you gotta have one leader. Got it has to be one. Somebody at the end of the day has to make the decisions. We're like, and then and it gets silly because it's like, like God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They make the decisions together, but we're not holy. So we're the unholy Trinity. It's like, but we're in it together. And and, and it was always that consensus approach. And as we then got to the point where we incorporated last year. <clears throat> We recognized that it was a new opportunity. That was part of the new thing that God was doing. And so earlier this year, we did go through a, a process and make a decision. But I, I, you and I had spoken previously, so you, you had mentioned that this would be a good thing maybe to, to mention. I'm not going to go into details, but um, I actually, when I stepped out of my executive role at Crossover in early 2020, and that was a three-year succession plan, so the other co-founder and I uh, we, we knew, and the other leaders knew it was time for us to step out. We had this amazing batch of younger leaders from all over the globe. And so for during a three-year transition culminating in 2020, um, we stepped out of our executive role. So, for example, I'm still vice chairman of Crossover's global board, but that's a non-executive role. And so I had this time starting in 2020 where I had I was released by Crossover to be engaged guilt-free in serving other organizations. And that included board roles or consulting with BAM businesses. And I do adjunct teaching, which I love, specifically related to BAM developing um, courses or curriculum, uh, that kind of thing for universities or seminaries that want to teach BAM, that kind of thing. But for those of you involved in organizational leadership, and and I've I've been pretty tight with God since I was 16 years old. and And I say that seriously. Like I never look back. This journey with the Lord since I was 16, I'm 56 now. This has been an amazing journey. And and yet I keep discovering how little I know and how how ungodly I really am sometimes at the end of the day. And I I got to the point where in 2020 and 21 I ended up burning out. And part of that was when I, when I felt released, I was just doing everything I possibly could. I was just all over the place trying to serve kingdom causes. And I did not regulate very well. I didn't rest. I mean, honestly, the bottom line is, I don't think I was working too much, but I was definitely resting too little. That that was the thing because I love to work, and it kind of like a lot of us in in bam in business or in missions. That's why I'm saying this part of the story. And the other thing was, I lost my identity because at some point along the way, my identity had gotten too wrapped up in the organization that I was leading, and the fact that I was an organizational leader. And at some point, it almost took precedence over the fact that I was part of God's kingdom and serving God's kingdom and the king first and foremost. So God, as my loving heavenly father, said, it's time for some discipline because I want to produce fruits of peace and righteousness. Um, I'm alluding to Hebrews. And this is this in, in, in a very real sense was an answer to my prayer. When I burned out, 
clinic. It was clinical. It was classic, and it culminated. I, I, I can share this freely, man. At the beginning, I was like, my pride, the fact that I'm a little bit type A and choleric, and you don't talk about vulnerabilities in public when you're an organizational leader and all this kind of stuff. It was painful to talk about it in public, and then it became something that I, for the last year and a half, all I've done is talk about this because people don't ask me to talk about the fun things like BAM anymore. They want me to talk about how to avoid or recover from burnout. So, okay, that's my service right now. And the thing was, I had been praying for about a decade, and it was about once every. I'm 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 not kidding here. It's like I'm thinking once every eighteen months. I mean, it was less than a year, more than every two years. I'm like, God, am I are things out of kilter? Because I love what I do. So my wife's going, you're working too much. I'm like, yeah, but for me, work is like rest because I love it so much. I was coming up with all these excuses and I would say this prayer, which would be, Lord, if if I'm working too much, please show me because I don't think I'm working too much, which might mean if I am, you please show me even if it hurts. When I burned out and it was on the basis of two all night long anxiety attacks that mimicked heart attacks. So I, I won't go into the details, yeah. but- I'm the guy who says, so I'm like, it can't be a heart attack because I've stayed in shape my entire life so that I don't die of a heart attack. It can't be an anxiety attack because I don't believe in that. I mean, I was that guy. Like, if you're having all these struggles with anxiety and stress or whatever, you're weak. And I I thought, you know, I woke up in 2021, I was invincible. And by the end of 2021, God had just broken me down completely to the to a point of weakness where and vulnerability where it could only be God who could produce the recovery. Um, because when it happened, I'm like, God, what, you know, what, what's going on here? I didn't say why me. Cause I'm like, why not me? I I'm a human. I make mistakes. I, I made this mess myself in a sense. Um, but what do you, what are you wanting to teach me? What are you wanting to accomplish? How am I going to look more like Christ? How am I going to be more faithful? How am I going to serve you better? And he, the first thing he said, literally, in in what as I was praying this through, he goes, Well, I'm answering your prayer. You know that one that you pray every 18 months that you finish with, even if it hurts? You weren't paying attention, so I'm making it hurt. I'm answering your prayer. And the last year was this incredible journey of recovery where the the deepest discovery was the guilt-free joy of receiving God's fatherhood and all the good things that come with it. I'm not going to save the world. And that was what was driving me. And I, I, my theology doesn't allow me to think like that. But in practice, I was like, I don't deserve to take a day off each week. I don't deserve to take a vacation each year because people are dying and going to hell because there are 7,000 unreached people groups because the BAM, the global movement is just getting started. I got work to do. I never said that, but that's how I was functioning. So the recovery process is just God speaking deeply to my spirit and my soul and bringing physical and spiritual and emotional renovation, renewal, and joy. And so last year was this new discovery of what it means to to really understand God as my heavenly father. And in that process, he, he got my identity shifted back onto him. Uh, he got my focus shifted back onto to things that really matter that are not an organization per se, not a brand, not a reputation, not numbers that you can count. And so I wake up in 2023, basically, and and all of the re-words, God started to remind me. He said, refresh, renew, restore, recover. I've done all of these things in you. It was basically Isaiah 43, 19. I brought you through the wilderness and now I'm doing a new thing. And he speaks again. He speaks. Let me, let me, here's a tip. Honor the Sabbath principle. This, this was a, the, the major thing that got me through that last year was turning off for 24 hours a week. I mean, literally honoring the Sabbath principle, not necessarily on a Saturday or a Sunday, but once a week, it turns out it's an amazing thing. Now I know why God did it, even though he didn't have to, because it's amazing. And you spend 24 hours reveling in God and his creation and in relationships and the things that don't necessarily produce num- numerical returns at the end of the day, just reveling in relationship and in God in general. Um, so that was a huge, that includes like the macro Sabbath idea of taking a vacation. So I, I'm starting to, you know, I'm taking vacations now and it turns out those are wonderful. Um <laughs> So I wake up in 2023, take a two-week vacation at the beginning of the year, and things are going great. And then God reminds me, look, your physical vigor, it's back. Your focus is back. Your concentration is back. Your motivation is back. Your passion is back. And I'm like, yeah, this is awesome, God. Oh, no. 
I don't have a, like, I don't have a job. Like, I don't, I'm not leading anybody anymore. And I like to lead. It's like, I would like to lead again, but I have no, what do I do? Where do I go? A crossover. I'm a non-executive. I can't insert myself back into there. That would be a horrible mistake. So what do I do? And so in one of these conversations with Mats and Joe, we're now, now connecting the dots. Hopefully there's some lessons to learn in there for our listeners about how to avoid or recover from burnout. Um, I'm going to say, plenty, by the way, just quick interruption. Please write on that. You, you are a good writer. You tease about your book, but you are a good writer. You've got something to write about. When you get the time, when God gives you the time, please put your experience and your lessons on, on paper. I, I just think that's so, so valuable to, to the body of Christ as a whole and certainly to Bammers in particular. So, sorry. Yeah. Back to you, but well, I, I, I just really want you to do that. Not that you have yeah. to do what I want, but <laughs> but do it. Yeah. Just do it. I, I appreciate Yeah, thank you. Just do it, Nike. I, I appreciate the encouragement. Um, it, and that sounds like a real possibility at some point, and hopefully sooner rather than later. Uh, with with kind of the way things are, are now structured in my life, maybe I, maybe I'll have a chance to do something because one of the first things I did was was get rid of about eighty percent of my responsibilities in order. It was it was actually just an act of self preservation. I, I I knew that I had to recover, and I knew that it had to do with restructuring a lot of things and, and priorities. So, but it, it worked, and God was gracious. And I keep I'm resisting telling a story, but I got to tell it. I'm sorry this this can't go unsaid. I was trying to get to now and bam global, but I, I need to tell this story. In October 2021, I burned out clinic class. My wife said you burned out. My doctor said you burned out. And a godly PhD in psychology who's a who's a clinical practitioner, they all said you burned out. And I'm I, I'm still going, God, what are you trying to tell me? But finally he got through to me, my thick head, and I started this recovery process. And people start asking me, come talk to and it's business groups and it's missions leaders and it's it's both of those together, meaning bam, and it's Talk, come tell us how to avoid or recover from burnout. So so a lot of, from November 2021 until now, I've been talking a lot about this. And and I went to a place in May of last year. So I'm six months into the recovery. I feel like, wow, I'm, I think I'm doing pretty well. And, and I'm going to speak in another part of Brazil. I get there on Thursday. I'm It starts on Thursday night. I'm supposed to speak on Friday morning. And I go into the auditorium on Thursday night and I was not well. I mean, I was not well at all. And I, I was like, I'm back to ground zero. Like I felt like I had made no progress. Uh, it was the weight of the world. It was the emotional distress. It was, I'm not well, and I don't want to be here. And I hate people again. By the way, if you, if you like people normally, but you're starting to not like people, that might be a sign of burnout. If you yeah. want to to the woods, I literally for months was going through this. I wanted to go into the woods with a tent and my Bible and a notebook, like just, just those things in God. I, I did not want to be with people. And I'm an extrovert. So I thought, well, maybe my temperament's changing. This, I had all these crazy thoughts. It was all burnout in hindsight. And I'm back to that again in May of 2022. So six months felt like, well, maybe nothing has been accomplished. I go into the auditorium on Thursday night, and I'm I'm only going to speak on Friday morning. So I just went in to kind of at least see how, you know, what's going on. And there were hardly any empty seats, and I didn't want to be with people, but I saw three empty seats. In, in the right in the middle, and I, and I went right to those because I wanted empty seats next to me. Everybody else is standing up. There's this time of worship, and it's the joyful kind of worship, and everybody's standing up, and a lot of people have their hands in the air, and and I'm sitting in that seat with my elbows on my knees, and I'm looking at the floor sometimes, or my eyes are closed sometimes, and I'm just wrestling and struggling with God, and I'm telling him, I am not well. I don't want to be here. This stinks, and I'm just the fact that sin exists, I mean, it was, part of it was my sin, part of it was just that sin exists and I hate it. And so the most vulnerable, I think, that I became in that whole process was this moment. And when I prayed, and this is my verbatim prayer, was I, I was just desperate. And I said, God, I just need to know that you're with me. I need to feel a hug from my heavenly father. Now, I've had an intimate relationship with the Lord, a growing relationship with the Lord for 40 years, and I never looked back. But I was not in the habit of talking to God using the word hug. I don't ask God to hug me. God is so sovereign and so glorious and so awesome that maybe you can use the word embrace because that sounds a little more aloof, but you can't talk about hugs and you can't call him dad and you can't let, you know, have that kind of 
intimate relationship that he says he wants to have. This this is my this was me. This was my problem. I had somehow erred on the side of the sovereignty of God to the loss of intimate fellowship with God, at least to the degree that he wanted to have. The desperation is reflected in the fact that I use the word hug. God, I just need to know that you're with me. I need a hug from my heavenly father. In less than 10 seconds, remember I had two empty seats next to me. They're the folding movie theater seat kind of thing. So and at that at that particular moment, my eyes were opened and I saw a foot from my left step into my personal space. And I went to my North American mode really quick. I'm like, what's this guy doing getting in my personal space? Can't he see I'm having a moment with God? And this is a man who is an acquaintance. He had no idea what was going on in my life. He bent over and he hugged me for probably 10 seconds, but it felt like an eternity. And in any other con in, in any other situation or context, it would have been awkward, honestly. He just hugged me for 10 seconds. He didn't say a thing. And then he moved back to his seat. And I was like, oh my, what just happened? What is going on here? And I'm starting to process. About 10 seconds later, he steps back into my personal space. He bends over and he hugs me and he said, your heavenly father wants you to know that he's with you. He literally said my prayer. So I say, God, I need to know that you're with me. I need a hug from my heavenly father. God immediately answered. He goes, you don't get it. This is who I am. I hear. I love. I'm your heavenly father. You need a hug. I'm right here, buddy. Here's a hug. I never imagined God calling me buddy in the past. It, it, it was it was that whole, it's like, no, the way I relate to my son, I attempt to, God does it infinitely better. And it's okay to accept that. That was a crucial turning point. It represented that whole year's journey of God going, now you're starting to understand. Now you're starting to get it. Let's walk together. Let's be father and son. Let's have intimate conversations. Let me hug you sometimes. Hug me back sometimes. Let's have that kind of relationship. And then we're going to do some really neat stuff. Well, the really neat stuff comes along early in 2023 then where I'm asking on just kind of random, randomly else, you know, during the day I go, you want to say anything, God? Because I talk a lot, which by the way, your audience is now figuring out. <laughs> you already knew it. This guy talks a lot, but I don't listen very well. And God's like, I'm like, you want to talk? You want to say something, Lord? And he did. And it was amazing. And he said, be ready because like really, really soon I'm going to do that new thing I've been suggesting to you that I was going to do. And that new thing happened a week later when Mats and I were in a meeting together and we were working out what are our, our roles in BAM Global because we don't have to all be co-chairs anymore. We, we are a legal entity. We we know what our sweet spots are. How do we get aligned in our sweet spots? And and we did a kind of a summary. And, and, and for some reason, I ended up almost, well, in a facilitation mode. And, and the conclusion was, okay, Matt, you're this and Joe, you're this. And I sat back in my chair and crossed my arms. I only didn't say out loud, my job here is done. But that's kind of how I was feeling because I was so happy that Mats and Joe were so happy because like they're going to get to do what they love to do more than ever. But Mats immediately pointed with both fingers in the camera. He said, but who's going to lead us? And he was pointing at me. And I, in all humility, normally what I would have said in the past was, wow, I'm honored that you think I might be capable of this. Let We, we need to pray about this. But the Holy Spirit instantaneously said, that thing that I told you eight days ago, it's this. And I said, Mats, I think you're right. I need to tell you and Joe what God did eight days ago. And I told him this story about how he'd spoken so clearly about the new thing. And it was, you know, it was an emotional experience for all three of us. I, I don't want to put, I'm not, I'm not imputing tears in Matt's eyes because he's Swedish. And maybe that's, but there were tears and just. Swedish ears and tears can cure cancer. The problem is, Swedes don't cry, right? <laughs> I, I've never heard that. That's good. That's good. Uh, Let, let's just say, let's say I might have had some tears. Joe might have had some tears. Uh, the point is, we together discerned that yeah. God was doing something right there, right then, and it was amazing. And He was aligning all three of us in our sweet spots. And so at that point, it's like, wow, you know. This is incredible. Let's do it. Let's, yes, let's do this. You, you do this, you do this, and I'll do this. And this is going to be amazing. So, you know, whether it ends up being amazing or not, it's early on. It could end up to be a catastrophe that they ask me to be the executive director. I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. 
but it seemed like God was in it. Well, man, this is the joy. And Mutt just posted this a couple of days ago about the joy of of being a team. You know, we've been a team, and I, I don't mean to put it on the three of us either. There are so many people involved in this thing. We've got volunteers all over the place, and there, you know, we're starting to have people come on staff. And there's this whole ecosystem. We're not trying. I don't. Please forgive me. In fact, if I if I, I'm making it look like I'm centering anything on me or on us, that's not what I mean to do. I want to testify about God's goodness on my journey in recent years, this burnout thing, and then on BAM Global's journey, where now we have the freedom to function within our sweet spots. There's no greater joy that I can think of from a practical, functional, professional perspective than knowing that you get to do what you do best and you get to do what you're passionate about. So so we're excited. We, we think that some good things, great things have already been happening. We think it can be even better that God has something in store that we can't even imagine yet. So, Jal, I've got, I've got 25 more questions I could ask you, but I'm going to, I'm going to pull this in for a close because I think that's, it's a great place to end and leave people wondering and, and praying, you know, not just, not yeah. just about your role or Mott's or Joe, but they may be in a very similar place. They may be in this hopeful, what's next, new thing, frame of mind, just like you guys are. And so, I think it's just a good place to sort of pull in and, uh, and, and rest for a little bit. And then I, I'll track you down for the next, I, it can't yeah. take two years. <laughs> it just can't, but I, I do want to, I do want to continue the conversation because I think it's, I think there's so much here for so many people, but right now what the way I'm looking at it is, is I just have this sense of expectancy and I've been feeling this for some time, this uh, sense of Lord, you are going to be doing a new thing, not just in, Jow's life, not just in the BAM global, but, but in, in the BAM movement as a whole. And, and sometimes traveling around the world the way we both do, I, I listen a lot to what people talk about. That's how I hear very often sort of the prophetic spirit speaking to me. And I keep hearing something around the God is doing a new thing kind of language. And so it, I, I just, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to be excited to watch. I'll be a part, I'll be there for you, but I, yeah. I, I want to watch and see what what is what is God unfolding in front of us these days? So I'm going to give you the yeah. parting shot, and then uh, we'll sign off and, and let folks digest this a little bit. I bet this is going to be one of those episodes that I think gets re-listened to many times. Uh, I, I'd be willing to, to bet money on that. Not that I have any to bet, but it, it'd be. It, I think that's going to be true. So give us just yeah. a, if, if you will. I mean, that's I know it's an abrupt spot stop, but it it just feels like the right place to stop. So yeah. give us a a closing. Hey guys, wrap it around this, take it to God and see what he's going to say to you. Oh, okay. Thank you. Because that gives me a chance to put all the focus back on God. And that's exactly what I want to do. The The closing line of the BAM manifesto. So we, we have that Lausanne occasional paper, but we have a one page manifesto and it's a challenge to the church. And we, we conclude with the Latin phrase, ad maiorum dei gloriam, to the greater glory of God. My my life is driven by that. Our I think the movement is driven by that. Mats loves the Latin. You know, he's he's kind of much more erudite than I am. So he, he gets the Latin in there and we're gonna use Latin and not just use some mere um extent uh, language. So ad myorum de glorium to the greater glory of God. This this is what drives us in the BAM movement. And and I hope that uh, our listeners would be thinking and kind of filtering through this. What is it about the way God has gifted me? What is it about the way God is uh, working in my life right now? How is it that I can connect to this BAM movement in a deeper way or, or you know, a wider way or whatever it is that, that God is showing you, whatever your gifts are, so that, and these these words show up a lot in Scripture, and I, I like to say they're the, some of the most theologically profound words that we find in Scripture, so that mm. God might receive the glory that he desires and deserves among all peoples. Um, it, it's it's go go check out Ephesians one twelve later on. It's that the, the, we who are the first to believe, so that we might be for the praise of His glory. We might so that we might be for the praise of His glory. And I think the greatest chance for we, I said this earlier, the great commission to be fulfilled, and the greatest way to live out the great commandment of loving God and loving neighbor, is by way of our everyday activities, but with the motivation discard every single other motivate no, no don't discard 
demote every single other motivation and put it in light of this driving doxological motivation so that God receives the glory that he desires and deserves in all areas of life, all spheres of society, and all peoples of the world. And then all those secondary motivations make a whole lot more sense. They have a whole lot more value in light of that one driving motivation. Wow, I can't even add anything beyond it except an amen to that, brother. That's uh, that's fantastic. Jal, gosh, I appreciate you being on. It's been great to chat with you, as always. Uh, last time I saw nice. you was, uh, where were we? Uh, oh, it was Curitiba. It and, was. Uh, here. Yeah, and so it was good. And, and, I, and it's just, uh, you're one of those special guys in my life. And I appreciate you very much as a friend, a brother, in many ways, a teacher, an example. And so, guys, to, to our listeners, check Jow out. Go to Bam Global. Go to businessmission.com. Tons of resources. Uh, it's all there for you. Go to the Lausanne site. There's tons of great BAM resources there as well. But they're all built around the same principle. Also, go, go back to the guys that founded Lausanne to begin with. Uh, the heart that they had was not about them. It was about right. God's greater glory in the world. So, Amen. Fantastic. We'll, we'll sign off with that and uh, look forward to talking with you again. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for listening to the Business as Mission podcast. We invite you to become part of the story by supporting the BAM podcast at patreon.com slash BAM stories. There's a link in the notes with this episode. For more information, go to thirdpathinitiative.com or triventure.com. Please share this podcast and give us a review wherever you listen. If your business or ministry would like to sponsor the Business as Mission podcast, simply email info at thirdpathinitiative.com and we'll set up a conversation about your needs and goals.